The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, today is our second installment in the stewardship series to start off this new year. And that will take us through different areas of the Bible, different scriptures. It won't be uh, what I typically do, going through a particular book of the Bible, straight through it. Uh, but today we're going to be in First Peter chapter 4, so you can go ahead and find your place there. There's a little bit of background. The more I looked at what the focus passage really is for today, I realized I, I should back up a couple of verses and do a little... Uh, context just so it wouldn't lead straight into something that maybe wouldn't make as much sense. So we're actually going to be looking at chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 today, uh, which the first part will not necessarily take as much time, but it will give us a good foundation to build uh, verses 7 through 11, which speaks more directly to the idea of stewardship. And one thing I wanted to just say today about where we went last week in 1 Corinthians 4... Uh, talking about being a servant of Christ and then being a steward of the gospel, meaning a manager, meaning we have responsibility uh, as a believer. We have uh, a responsibility to serve others, but we also have a responsibility because of what we've been given. Not just gifts, not just stuff, but we've been given a message. So we have to make sure we're being a good, responsible manager of the Word of God, the message that He's given us. That's, that's what we're responsible to share. So that's one point that came out last week. Well, this week, we're talking more about gifts. Uh, what Peter is telling the church is, is how God has given us a lot of gifts, given us uh, abilities and passions and skills and gifts and things to use, but we have to be really careful that we use them the right way. That First of all, we identify what it is God's given us like how are we going to know how to be a good manager of something if we're not really clear on what it is we're managing? Does that make sense? We want to see what God's given us, and then we can say, okay, how can I best leverage that for the glory of God, for the good of other people? Uh, I want to be responsible. I want to be faithful. That came out last week with what God's given me. So it's the, you know, you, you, you think about different stories that you remember maybe in the Bible, things about... Uh, when the master gave out talents to some of his servants and, and said, hey, I'm going to be gone for a little while. Here's some stuff to manage while I'm gone, and I'll check with you when I get back to see what you did with it. You know, And, and the three different people, one of them had, had uh, five, one of them had two, one of them had one, and you know, what, what did they do? One of them gained some more, one of them gained a little more, one of them was scared, so we buried it in the ground and said, well, at least here's what, you didn't lose anything, you didn't gain anything either, but, you know, and different levels of responsibility and different methods of management. Well, so today, one thing I want to build on from last week, and, and really, hopefully, will make this uh, more understandable over the next several weeks, Stewardship isn't just about money. Okay? It, it is about money, certainly includes money, but it's not just about money. Lots of times when churches uh, do a stewardship emphasis, it's really, that's code in the church for the preacher to talk about money. <laughs> you know, y'all need to give some more money. Okay, that's, stewardship is so much more than that. 
it includes being responsible with the financial resources God gives us, but it also includes a lot of other stuff. It's comprehensive because it includes really our whole lives. Okay, so whatever God gives you, he might give you other gifts and skills, knowledge, things to manage because ultimately we're stewards of life. That's what it boils down to. Okay, we're stewards of life. So it's not just money. It's not just a talent. It's not just a resource. It's our entire lives. So I want to get to the passage here so we can get into some things that we need to see about being a good steward of the grace of God. That's where we're going today. The grace of God, which is the source of everything we have, our gifts, our resources, everything. So let's look at the New Testament here, 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 1, as I said, and come down to verse 11, and then just hit some of the main points of what the Bible is telling us, what God is telling us in his word about how to be a good steward of his grace. 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 1. The, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd help us do some things with this word today. I pray you'd help us hear it, help us understand it, and help us do what it says. Help us ultimately, Lord, to be obedient to what you tell us. Help us to live for you according to your word, for your glory, for our good. So Lord, to that end, I pray that you'll help me, help me in my speech, help me in the way I talk, help me in the words I use, help me in everything I say today to be clear, not confusing, and to be absolutely anchored to just what you say and not what I think. For your glory, Lord. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, there's two major divisions in this little passage here. And, of course, the second one, as I already mentioned, is the one that speaks to stewardship, managing the grace of God. But I wanted to go back to verses 1 through 6 because that kind of sets up a little foundation about why is it so important? You ever ask that question? Why is it so important to do what God says? Why is it so important to be a good manager of what God's given you? Why does that even matter? Hopefully that's kind of self-explanatory. I pray that when you think about that question, you're thinking, well, okay, that should be pretty obvious. God gave us some stuff, and it's his in the, in, you know, to begin with, so we need to make sure we handle it correctly. Okay, that, that's the short answer. But I want you to see how Peter sets this up at the beginning of this chapter when he says some things, since, therefore. Okay, whenever he says stuff like that, whenever you see that word, therefore, or because of, you need to go back a little bit and see what he's saying. And what he's talking about is how, how, how God, Jesus, you know, Jesus is God, so when Jesus came to earth, how Jesus had to suffer. And he suffered as a righteous man. He suffered sinlessly. So understand, Jesus didn't do anything wrong to get punished for. You understand that? So when we, when we do wrong, we get punished. Well, Jesus didn't do wrong. He still got punished. That's because he was being punished for us. He was taking our place. So when Peter gets to chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So what he's saying is we need to have the same mindset, the same thought process as Jesus had because Jesus knew he didn't do anything wrong. He knew that from the beginning. That's his whole purpose was to come here to live sinlessly, but to then to die as a sacrifice, substitution for us. Okay, so here's the point for us today. I'm going to try to do some application as we go, so you don't have to wait to the end. It's as we go through each little part, we're going to see, well, what do I do with that? Okay, when it says here, since Jesus suffered in the flesh, we should arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Here's what that means. If you're following Jesus expect that not everybody's going to be happy about that. Okay? When you're in this world, this world is contrary to God and God's ways and God's word and God's plans. Okay? So what you should expect, expectations are so key in everything. I, I use that word a lot in my premarital counseling when I'm going to perform a wedding. We talked with a couple, Darlene and I met with a couple uh, Friday night, matter of fact, uh, some friends from a uh, previous place of ministry just got engaged, wanted me to do the wedding, and we, we met with them for the first time and uh, started talking about some things. And expectations, that's a, a, a topic that is so important because your expectations, listen to this. I didn't make this up. This is good. Expectations are preloaded resentment. Because you know what happens? Here's, here's how that works out. Here's what I expect. Well, the, deg the degree to which that doesn't happen, what I expect, that's the degree of conflict I'm going to have. It didn't meet my expectations. You understand how that works? So if I go into anything and I set my expectations maybe too high or not realistically, then what I've just done is I've set myself up to be disappointed. So when you are making expectations... You need to understand, all right, well, let me, be, let me try to be realistic here. I don't want to, like if I, all right, it's like somebody goes to the, 
to the Perry store or wherever. I don't, do they sell lottery tickets down there? I don't know if they do or not. Okay, let's say somebody goes into the Perry store and they want to buy a lottery ticket. Okay, well, if their expectation is I'm absolutely definitely going to win, so I'm going to go ahead and go out and burn up, you know, max out all my credit cards. I'm going to go buy a bunch of stuff because this, this is going to be the winner right here. Well, that's an unrealistic expectation. Okay? So they've set themselves up for a lot of heartache, a lot of disappointment. So that's important. So what our mindset as a believer, what we should expect is here's what's going to happen. The world is going to be against you the more you follow Jesus. Does that make sense? So all this is leading to why does it matter how we handle what God gives us? See, the Bible says in, in 1 Peter 4 here, in verses 1 and 2, if you continue on there, it says uh, in verse 1, it says, whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. doesn't mean you've stopped sinning. It means you're making a clean break. Okay, It means your purpose in life now is I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live in a righteous way, best I can, with God's strength. I'm going to try my best to do what He says. Now, I'm going to fail. I'm going to stumble. But my goal... My goal is to live for Jesus. So that means I'm making a clean break. And I'm going to demonstrate that by what my goal in life is now that I have met Jesus. It's different than what it used to be. Does that make sense? My goals have changed because I know Jesus. Okay? That's what should... <laughs> that's, that's got to happen. If you meet Jesus, the way you think, your want-tos change if you meet Jesus. Okay. He, he gives you some new want-tos. But here's what happens when that happens. We should arm ourselves with this way of thinking. We should understand we're going to live, look at verse 2, to live the rest of the time in the flesh. However much time God gives us, we're going to live it for the will of God, not for the will of man. We're not going to live it for human passions, the Bible says. We're going li to live it for the will of God. So whatever time left I have, I'm going to make it my primary goal to live how God wants me to live. Regardless of how, how many times I fail and fall short, but my goal is always I'm going to live from now on, however much time he gives me, I'm going to live for the glory of God, for the will of God, for the purposes and plans that God has for my life. You with me? That, that's what that means. So the rest of the life that we have for the will of God. And Peter then says something really interesting. I want you to look at verse 3. All this is leading up to being a good steward. This is how you become a good steward of the grace of God. Peter says in verse 3, the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And then he gives a, a list of things in the rest of verse 3. And here's what he's saying. If we started today, and I love the way he puts this, the time passed is sufficient. So if we started today and said, all right, as of today... All the bad things I used to do, I'm not going to do them anymore. All the things that Jesus wants me to do, I'm going to do that from now on. He's saying even if we did that, when we meet Jesus and we make a declaration, I'm no longer going to do all these other things I used to do before I met Jesus. He's saying we've already done enough. The sin we've already committed is plenty. Okay? It's, it's enough. The time passes well sufficient for doing all those things that we shouldn't have been doing. Living the way we shouldn't have lived. Living it contradictory to what God says. Okay? So what he's saying is to the church, we don't need to sin anymore. Okay? We've sinned quite enough. 
we've, we've done enough of that. We don't need to do it anymore. So he said the time passed is su- sufficient. We've lived in sin long enough. There's no room in the life of a believer for the life of an unbeliever. Does that make sense? If you're a believer and you've made that declaration, there's no room in your life anymore to live like you don't believe in Jesus. That's, 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 that's nonsense. So, so just understand how, how illogical that is. To stand up, oftentimes with tears in your eyes, God has convicted me of my sin. I realize I was, was wrong, going the wrong direction. I need a Savior. I, I surrender my life to Jesus. And then the very next day, just go right back to the same habits and the same actions and the same speech and everything you used to do before you made that declaration. Does that make sense? That doesn't make sense to me. Not one bit. And, and I, I realize, well, I, I think, am I talking a little fast today? I'm a little fired up today because the more I read about this, the more I started feeling guilty. (laughs) Because all I thought about in everything I was reading and studying was all the bad things I've ever done. All the things I could remember that I shouldn't have done. Things I shouldn't have said. Treated people the way I shouldn't have. And and so all that stuff is just fresh in my mind, so it's kind of got me a a little bothered. And so I'm trying to convey to you in such a way that you can understand the, the seriousness of what's going on here. So hopefully all of you can learn from the mistakes of someone else and, and kind of just do a little bit of self-evaluation here and say, hey, I, I need to think about what I'm doing here. I need to think about how I'm living here because I don't want to be that person who gets 10, 20, 30 years down the road and all I do is sit there and stew in this big pile of regrets because I've disappointed God my entire life. That's not who I want to be. Are y'all all right? Brendan Manning said this, said this uh, he was recorded saying this actually at the beginning of a song by DC Talk back in the 90s called What If I Stumble? Brendan Manning said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Too many people call themselves Christians, but there's no change in their lives. They just grab the title and then just go on about their business as if nothing has happened. Well, I just want you to know, it don't work like that. That's bad grammar, but it's really good theology. You can't meet Jesus and stay the same. And, and, and this may hurt your feelings, and if it does, you need to pray about it. Because I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not saying this to hurt feelings. I'm saying this because it's the truth under God. If you say you are a Christian and your life is no different than it was before that, you're not a Christian. Sorry. Sorry. When, when you meet Jesus, things change. Period. You, do, you can't meet Jesus and stay the same. You can't be transformed by the Holy Spirit. You can't have the Holy Spirit living in you and there's no discernible difference in you whatsoever. It just doesn't work that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how serious this is. That's how we can become a steward of God's grace is you have to actually receive God's grace. You've got to have it to manage it. 
So the Bible says what happens when we start living for Jesus and becoming a good steward of His grace. Well, here's what happens, verse 4. With respect to this, they're surprised. Who's surprised? All the people in the world that you know. They're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So basically, when you don't live like the world, people in the world look at you and say, what is wrong with them? This is normal. What's normal? Well, you saw the list in verse 3. Why aren't they lying? Why aren't they fighting? Why aren't they getting drunk? Why aren't they cussing? Why aren't they sleeping with each other before they're married? That's normal. No, it's not. None of that's normal. It's not normal. It's not, it's not biblical, when put it that way. It's normal in this world. So here's what happens. You, you ever watch these shows? I think I remember, I can't remember the year or the, or, or the, the episode because I don't watch it, but I remember a big deal. Well, we can use this. I was thinking about that whole Bachelor, Bachelorette show thing that they do. Uh, but that's, that, that's nonsense. Uh, you remember how much uh, trouble they gave Tim Tebow, the football player, when he said, well, no, I'm a, I'm a Christian. He got made fun of and this picture, make memes of him kneeling down, put all kind of stuff on it. And then he said, oh, no, no, uh, I'm engaged, but no, we're, we're saving ourselves for marriage. We're not, we're not sleeping with each other because that's not what God says to do. Can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Tim Tebow took all kind of stuff because he, he made a stand. He took a stand. He said, I'm, I'm going to do what God says. They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. It says it right there in the Bible, written 2,000 years ago, this letter. Almost 2,000 years ago. So people will make fun of you and treat you poorly, you know why? You know why they're surprised? They're surprised because not everybody who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. That's why. But let me just reassure you, if you are planning on standing up for your beliefs and living like Jesus says to live, let me just reassure you, followers of Jesus have no need for the approval of this world. Not one bit. Not one bit. We're not looking for the, for the blessing of a sinful world. We're looking for the well done, my good and faithful servant from our Father in heaven. That's what we're waiting for. And, and if we're not waiting for that, we probably should reevaluate our goals and priorities in life. Does that make sense? unbelievers viewed the death of believers as proof that there was no advantage in becoming a believer because everybody dies. But what they don't understand is the big picture that death is not the end for a Christian. So suffering like Jesus prepares you to be a good steward of what he's given us. So when God gives us, by His grace, different gifts and abilities and skills and, and passions and things to do, Peter reminds us in verse 7, live with the end in mind. That's the main focus of this passage. Live with the end in mind. Have an eternal perspective. And there's two points to this part of the message today. 
We should pray and love more. Pray more, love more. And we should use our gifts to serve other people. Simply that. Pray and love more. Use our gifts to serve others. That's what the text tells us to do. How to be a good steward of the grace of God. We should pray more, love more, and use the gifts God gives us to serve others. Unselfishly, with humility, for the glory of God, not for our own. So look what he says in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, so why should we be self-controlled? Why should we be sober-minded? Because the end is near. And because we need to pray. You see that? For the sake of your prayers, in verse 7, we should live our lives with sound judgment, with sober spirit. See, the, the realization that God is bringing history to a close ought to provoke believers to depend on Him. And this dependence is expressed by prayer. So Peter says, for the sake of your prayers, live this way. So why do we want to live for the will of God? Why does that even matter to do what God says? Because, well, first of all, he, he did go to the trouble of giving us his word and then calling us to read it and study it and learn it and obey it. So we should do that because the end is near and because we want to depend on him in prayer. So how do we make that lifestyle choice to where we're going to be a good steward and we're going to follow Him and live for the will of God, as He said earlier on uh, up in verse 2, when He says to live the rest of our lives no longer for human passions but for the will of God. What does that look like? Well, He says be self-controlled. He says be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So we should... Pray more. Then he says in verse 8, Above all, keep on loving one another earnestly. Loving one another. This promotes overlooking sins and offenses of other people. You ever heard this phrase? When, when two friends have a little conflict, they start off mad and then one of them looks at the other one and says something like, I can't stay mad at you. You know why? Because there's love. There's care. There's a, a bond. Specifically with the Holy Spirit, there's a bond and a relationship that says, yeah, okay, we had a little bump in the road. We had a little disagreement. But I, I can't stay mad. That's not, that's not right. I'm not going to stay mad at you. I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to be, continue to be offended. You know why? Because Christians are called... What, what, did, what did I read in 1 John 4 at the beginning of the service today? Love one another. Love one another. Peter says, above all, keep on loving one another earnestly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins not by the person loving, but by the person being loved. It covers up those sins. Let me read this to you from Wayne Grudem, who's a, a fantastic theologian. Uh, he, he wrote this about this passage. He said, Where love abounds in a Christian fellowship, many small offenses, and even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking... Every word 
is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to be misunderstood. And conflicts are everywhere. Much to the delight of Satan. Did you hear that last part? Don't miss the last part. Where there is no love among a fellowship of Christians in the church. When there's no love in the church, every word that someone speaks is suspicious. Every action is liable to be misunderstood. And there's conflict everywhere. And you know who's sitting in the corner just laughing his head off? Satan. Laughing at us. Not us, but for the example, you understand what I'm saying? When, when there's no love. See, folks, it, it doesn't matter. I guarantee you, not every one of us in this room agrees on everything. Right? That's a given. We don't agree on everything. Nobody does. But guess what? You know what we have? What, what, what did, how did the old song go? Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in what? Christian love. Folks, I don't care who you are or what you think about any subject. If we disagree... Okay, we might disagree. But you know what I, you know what we can't do? We just can't stop loving each other. We can't stop being kind to one another. Because you know because you know what happens when that happens? The devil just starts cackling, just laughing at us. Look at those foolish Christians. They they say they're following Jesus. They can't even get along. So when you see a church that has a lot of conflict. And it's because folks aren't loving each other. That's like 101 Christianity. Love one another. It doesn't matter if we disagree. Because how are we going to serve each other and use the gifts God's given us and be a good steward of His grace if we can't even love each other? You see why that's so important? Love each other. And then Peter goes on to say, uh, be hospitable or show hospitality, verse 9, to one another, each other, without grumbling. In other words, without complaining. In other words, it would look like this. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to go do something nice for them, but I ain't going to like it. I'm not going to smile about it. Well, guess what? Just don't do it then. Because if you can't be loving and kind when you're serving one another, it defeats the purpose anyway. Because the whole idea of serving each other is showing love for each other. And that's, that's what we're called, commanded to do. It defeats the purpose. So Peter says, verse 10, as each has received a gift... Now understand, every believer has at least one gift that God gives to use to serve the church, to build the kingdom, to glorify himself, glorify God. Okay? He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Use it to serve one another. It's straightforward. How do I use this gift, God? 
serve one another. And what's the result? As good stewards of God's varied grace or God's manifest blessings and grace. So what does it look like to be a good steward of God's grace? It looks like using whatever God gives me to serve each other. To serve one another. Everything. So whatever, each one of us has different gifts, skills, passions, abilities, different talents, different things we're good at. So our responsibility to be a good steward of God's grace, which gave us those gifts, is to find out what they are and then leverage them to serve each other, to build God's kingdom, and to give Him glory for it. That's the purpose. So whatever it is God's given you, that you have it as a gift, your responsibility is to use it to glorify God by serving one another. It's that simple. I mean, it's simple to say. It's not simple to do. But that's the purpose of our gifts. It's not for me. If God gives me a gift, it's not for me. It's for everybody else. Because that's how I'm supposed to use it if I want to be a good manager. I'm supposed to use whatever God has given me for the benefit of others. That's the purpose that I receive the gift. So then he gives a couple of examples. He says... Uh, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. So you know what that means? If you have the gift of teaching or preaching, guess what? Your words should be God's words. The gospel. The truth of, of the Bible. Not what I think, what God says. Then the second example. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So if you have the gift of service... Your strength should be God's strength. Anybody remember Philippians chapter 4, verse 13? I can do all things through Christ, who does what? Strengthens me. So if I serve, I'm going to serve with the strength that He supplies me to serve. And I'm going to do it with humility and unselfishness because it's specifically for other people. It's a gift to give to the church to glorify God. So he closes out this passage, he says, in order that. So there you go. The last half of the last verse tells us the purpose behind why are we to be a good steward of God's grace? Why is that even important? What does the text say? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion Forever and ever. Amen. That means the one who gives the gifts is the one who gets the glory. They were his to begin with. And he, listen, he entrusted them to us. Not so we can look cool and say, some, have somebody say, wow, you're really good at that. Now they might say that, but that's not the purpose. The purpose you have the gift is so you can serve one another, be a good steward of God's grace, and then for God to get the glory, for His kingdom to be built up. That's the purpose of everything we have. So how do we be good stewards of God's grace? We figure out, what has God gifted me to do? And then we ask this question. 
how can I best use that gift to serve God's people and to give God glory with it? That's being a good steward, a good manager, a faithful manager of what God has given to us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.